On Pop Fiction Women, we explore what it means to be a complicated woman. Tired of endless variations of leading men next to one-dimensional archetypes of women, or strong female leads written by men that were essentially guys in women's bodies. We started this show to highlight the many female characters in entertainment worth exploring, as well as the women who dreamt them up. And now we're adding those creators to our conversations, discussing their process and passion in bringing these women to life. Welcome to Complicated Conversations. On these episodes, there's no spoilers. So come on, it's starting. On today's episode of Complicated Conversations, we're thrilled to be joined by Allison Wynn Scotch. Allison is the New York Times bestselling author of eight previous novels, including Cleo McDougal, Regrets Nothing, In 20 Years, and Time of My Life. She lives in Los Angeles with her family and their two rescue dogs. Her new novel, The Rewind, is out now. Welcome to Pop Fiction Women, Allison. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Oh. Kate, you reached out to me like a long like time ago. ago or something. Yes, I was like, this might be a little <laughs> premature, but we are huge okay. fans. I yes. appreciate it so much. Yeah, yeah. and so yes. I'm so glad long, it worked out. Long time fans. Thank you. I th- oh, well, thank you for having me. The Theory of Opposites is one of my favorites. That was my first. Oh, thank yeah. you. Yeah. Thank you. And um, I really loved writing that one. It's just fun and such a good time. Yeah. So. So your new one, The Rewind, is a return to your romantic comedy roots. And I love this pitch that it's the hangover meets when Harry met Sally. I mean, yeah, how good is that? So so tell us a little bit about The Rewind. So the story is I really love sort of examining the road not taken path. So it is about two acrimonious exes who are forced to reunite at a friend's wedding on their old college campus. And they haven't spoken since graduation, since they broke up. And they wake up and they vow not to deal with each other at all. And then they wake up the next morning in bed together, possibly having gotten married with no memory of what came before. So. So good. That's the that setup. So great. And I want to start with Frankie because we focus on mm-hmm. the complicated women of our favorite yeah. stories. And she obviously... Yeah qualifies and she is someone I relate to. She is brash, brazen, hyper competitive, but also totally non-judgmental of others. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and because of her training as a concert pianist, she knows how to control herself, but she also mm-hmm. knows how to ride a feeling, which I love that description of yeah. when she finds a night oh. fixin, especially with her job. And yeah. she knows when something feels right and feels wrong and she trusts that. Um, and I can relate to that duality of control plus, yeah. you know, knowing your gut feeling. So I wanted to just talk about how you came up with Frankie, inspiration, any obstacles you had writing her. Yeah. So I would say, first of all, I love how you describe her. And as you describe her, I would say I also really relate to that. Um, I think I'm probably sort of less acerbic than she is, but that drive, I really understand as well as sort of the live and let live attitude that, um, she, she embraces that she needs to embrace by being in that industry. But, um, you know, I always start off and I love that we're starting with Frankie with that strong female character. All of my books have it, um, or they end up getting there. And if anything, 
I tend to write really unlikable iterations in my early drafts. And I know not everybody will like Frankie and that's fine. And I would say throughout all my books, I hear people who don't like her. And I think that's fine. I'm not necessarily interested in writing toward the middle because I think Mm -hmm. like, let's embrace complicated women as we're doing here. So I set it in music because I personally am really obsessed with music. I saw you guys were listening to Midnight's. Um, not that that is <laughs> yes. like a niche listen at this point, but I just, like, had it on nonstop. Um, yeah. So, and I, my teenage daughter was like, yeah, it's not my favorite album. And I was like, get out. Like, I can't yeah, stop listening to it. Leave. So, um, yeah, exactly. Leave. So, um, it just, it felt like a very natural fit for me to have somebody who was, and I live in Los Angeles now, who was out here, um, who had this great drive and also had a really complicated history with the thing that she was choosing to embrace as a career. And because it's set in the 80s and 90s, which were sort of seminal years for all of us here, it just gave me such an opportunity to dive into the nostalgia that when you're really into music that comes with it, when you hear that song, like when you hear Jesse's Girl, and you can just place yourself at a point in time oh. or, you know, wherever it was. So... That's where Frankie came from. And I did definitely have to um, unpeel some layers to make her more likable just because people do at least want to root for her. So Yes. Yeah. My husband says to me all the time, the amount of information I could have in my brain if I could get rid of the lyrics that are stored. Because I will hear a song I haven't heard in like 20 years and all of a sudden every word comes back to me. Isn't like, that wild? I'm, me too. He's like, like I've known you yeah. for 20 years. I've never heard this song, never heard you play it or sing it, and then every <laughs> word comes out. Yeah, I'm exactly the same way. Like, I'll be driving and something comes on on, like, an 80s station. Literally haven't heard it. Same thing. Decades. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I know every word, every bridge, every riff. And um, so I think that's – when your brain's like that, it's so much fun to play around with when you're, you know, writing a oh, book. So Yes. Yeah, And so I yeah. I can relate to a lot of Frankie, but as we joked with you before we started recording, I really, really feel like an Ezra here, which um, yeah. I have to explain. So he doesn't do messy, doesn't do yeah. messy. I get mm-hmm. that. He's a quote unquote fantastic compartmentalizer. And yeah. my therapist told me actually I'm a master compartmentalizer. So apparently yeah. we share that in common too. But, you know, he has a plan and he wants to stick with it. Yeah. Okay. So he wants to propose to his girlfriend. He thinks she's the perfect, compatible match. You know, you wrote they were both so measured that nothing about their lives felt complicated. And yeah. um, the problem, though, with that is, and I understand this too, is that Ezra doesn't know what he wants. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, I felt like Frankie and Ezra really sort of supported Verted the typical gender stereotypes um, that mm-hmm. we see. I feel like Ezra's struggling with a lot of things we often see women struggling with. And so right. I was wondering if that was intentional or if it's just that I so relate to Ezra that I felt that way. No, and it's interesting because when we took the book out, we I heard that from editors, some female editors who were okay. like, I feel really like I identify as an Ezra. And maybe that is because what you're talking about, that may be more of a gender norm You know, again, it sort of gets back to, I like to write messy women because, and it's not even like, I actually don't consider myself a messy woman, but you know, I'm ambitious and I'm driven and I speak up for what I think is right and et cetera, et cetera. But 
if you have two really messy people in a book, that's just chaos. And I think there's something to be said for men who are complicated in their own way, but not because they're messy, because, you know, that ambivalence or that sort of lack of drive for what he wants also makes it really hard because he says yes to a lot of things. And Mm -hmm. that's maybe not what we expect from men, but there are a lot of them. And I've dated men like that who just are sort of swept along with the tide. Mm -hmm. And that's its own complication, whether you're a man or a woman. So Frankie maybe knows what she wants too much, and she's hard to dissuade from her own drive. But Ezra needs to meet her. They need to meet somewhere in the middle. And so that's that's Mm -hmm. how I wrote it. And I will also say with him, I had to really write him. He started out as too bland, as somebody who like really had no autonomy over his choices. And I had to make him, you know, they don't quite meet in the middle, but I had to uh, ramp him up as well. So, I love that. And you're going to, I'm going to pull something that Kate said, and then something that you said to talk about opposites. So Ezra thinks he is the perfect boyfriend to Mimi, because he says he makes her life as easy as possible. Like, they're very uncomplicated. But I tend to think that a partner should make you very uncomfortable because that is the person you're safe with. That is the person that's going to help you grow. So I was like, no, that's wrong. Ezra, you're not, that's not right. Don't do that. Uh, That's, you're never going to grow. You're just going to keep sailing on this path. Um, And we even see it with Ezra and Frankie, especially where Frankie's mom is concerned. And when Whenever he mm-hmm. even knows something's happening, he doesn't push it. And he accepts what, what right. she says, kind of doesn't want to go there. And he doesn't push her. He doesn't confront her. You can confront someone in a kind way. All right, I'm getting way too mm-hmm. <laughs> into the therapy. Yeah, this, no, 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 yeah. And like he thinks instead he can do something for her, like the Paris lights on her birthday, right. and that it will just right. kind of magically fix whatever is is wrong before. Um, and... It was frustrating for me to read that because I'm like, no, that's not what she needs. And that's and he is caring right. and thoughtful. He's not a jerk at all, but he's getting it so wrong. And I just right. wanted to, to talk about how you worked their opposites and how you developed that. Well, I think that particularly in your, let's say, 20s to be generous, possibly 30. I mean, could be lifelong. You maybe make choices in partners who are like 60% right for you, but the ensuing drama when you are recognizing that that 40% is too hard to overcome, whether he, whether you're, the person you're dating recognizes it or you do, I felt like that was really common, particularly for my early relationships. I mean, if they had been right for me, I would have stayed with them forever. And that's not to say that your partner who you end up with, if you end up in a long-term relationship, is right for you forever as well. But I felt like a 21-year-old who was really still finding his own footing um, and had promised his girlfriend, okay, I'll stay hands-off on this very sensitive subject for you. I felt like he would do that because he had yet to figure out how to, um, as you said, bring it up kindly. And so he viewed support as doing whatever she wanted. But Frankie at the time didn't really know what she wanted. She just had like an automatic reflex of, 
I'm, I need to stop this. I don't want to discuss this. And so he viewed that as, okay, I'm going to honor what she did. And, and I know people who do that. And that's mm-hmm. um, fine. In my own marriage, we get into stuff. And that's what works for us. But there are other people who think that not getting into stuff works for them. And that's really what they were wrestling with. I think, um, you know, as the book goes on, they realize that those boundaries that both she had set up and that he abided by were not the correct things. But, you know, when you're young and you're figuring out what works for you, I feel like we've all sort of asked for things that weren't right at the time, but we asked for them anyway. So that's, um, that's where that was coming from that the reader could Mm. see that neither of them should be doing it, but they were doing it anyway, which is very me in my 20s, like when I was in my 20s and in dating men who weren't right for me. Yeah. And I dated a lot of them. (laughs) (laughs) No, because you're, you're looking for the thing that's going to keep whatever it is preserved and maybe isolated and not make it because you think, and sometimes it's true. You, when you open it up, it gets worse before it gets better. Yeah. But that's right. But then if you keep it contained, it never gets better. So those are, you know, those are the choices. I totally agree with you. But again, you know, I like to get into stuff. Like I always have, I'm not unwilling to have an argument, like whatever needs, like let's unpack this and then we'll come out. Okay. There are a lot of people who don't share that, you know, who just, they don't want the confrontation because it's too stressful. It produces anxiety. And you know, who am I to say what works for anybody else? But it wasn't working for them, which was why ultimately they had this catastrophic breakup and had to take a decade apart. Sorry, I don't know why that went off. So... Yeah, and now I just, I just, I have to stick up for Ezra just a little because, you know, I mean, you're touching on it, though. It's like there were these areas where she had unequivocally said, like, I don't want to talk about them. And like you said, her musical background, her parents. And so he was respecting that. And I understand in theory, like, okay, but... Maybe he shouldn't have because maybe he should have pushed and wanted to dig deeper. But there's also, you know, if someone doesn't want to share something, then you're almost an asshole if you make her go into these really sensitive issues for her. And one of the things she realizes later is that she didn't really crack herself open wide enough, you know, for him to really peer in and get the proper view. Those are the words from the novel. And so, you know, I was just thinking just in relationships generally, I mean, it's a challenge, right? Because people, we say we want to be seen in our entirety, but that's really scary. And you also have to let people see you. And I think she also wasn't willing to do that. And so... By the end, you know, Frankie's kind of debating, you know, what the keys are to successfully loving someone. And I'm just sort of Mm -hmm. curious your thoughts on it and whether writing this kind of changed any of your views. I mean, obviously, communication sounds like one for you, (laughs) like being open about things and getting into it. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. By the way, I agree with all of that. Like, I think that they were both flawed in their own way. And I viewed it as Ezra believing and in that moment that he was doing the right thing for Frankie. She did not unpeeling her at that moment was the wrong thing to do. And 
I don't think that when they were 21 or 22, it would have led to anything better coming out of it, which, you know, is sort of why they were incompatible at that age. I mean, you know, like if I had met my husband in college, it would not have worked. And, you know, it's who you are at 21 or 22 or 18 is probably not going to be who you are a decade, two decades later. So I don't fault Ezra at all. Like I understood why he made that choice. And I thought it was actually sort of the honorable one. She did not. There are things in people's lives that they may not want to get into, even if they should. But that's, you know, that's fine. You know, listen, I really believe in boundaries. And that was Frankie's boundary at 21. And whether or not Mm -hmm. it was the right thing for her. So did I learn anything about, you know, again, that's, (laughs) it's a hard question, because I've been married for 20 years. So I feel like if you make it 20 years, hopefully <laughs> you sort of know what works for you. Right. But, that's but this is you imparting true. that. I mean, it, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I get, you know, like who, I'm always hesitant to be like, well, I've been married 20 years. I know it works. I, I don't know. Like, but I do think that for me, what I felt was the most reflective is that you can take time to grow and then maybe – be more compatible if you're looking at that second chance romance trope and that I think when you're messy early in your life that's okay because they were as we've already discussed they were both messy in their own way and like there should be no judgment about that like Mm -hmm. again I dated a string of men in my 20s who were really wrong for me and that's okay like that's what Mm -hmm. I tell my kids like this is the time to use that information to find the person who you may want to be with for longer. And that's what they sort of are doing. I don't know if that answers right. your question. Yes. But no, yes. no, it does. It definitely does. I'm it's hesitant to, to my... say this is what I've learned. I know. I know. <laughs> yeah. But it's leading to my next question, which is about, you mentioned this is a second chance love mm-hmm. story. And, you know, in it, you write a second chance and an old love was the stuff that artists wrote about, the kind of thing that could spark yeah. a pretty good song. Um, it's also yeah. sparked a lot of movies and TV shows and books for good reason. It's yeah. something we love to talk about on the podcast. And in, I think The Rewind does a really good job of sort of examining what we debate on here about it, the different sides of the one that got away theme, because yeah. at the start, it does show that they think they know each other, right? And that sort of anchors them in their perception. Like, you are this way, Frankie, and you are that way. But over the course of the book, as you're saying, there's a lot of growth. They start figuring out the mistakes they made, and then they start to see each other as they are now, which is, Mm -hmm. you know, different people. It's a decade later. So it's familiar, but it's also new. And I just, of course, have to ask, um, as a huge fan of the One That Got Away theme, (laughs) you know, why it is you love it and, you know, what kind of perspective or spin you wanted to bring to it. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting. I've been thinking about that a lot recently because I write about it a lot. I almost all my Mm -hmm. books are sort of based in something with the past and the book I'm working on now is similar. I mean, it's very different than the rewind, but it, it shares some of these same themes. And, you know, I'm not, I don't really know if I have the answer. As I said, it's not like I mean, I've been married for a long time. It's not like I sit here and wax nostalgic about a specific person who got away. Like that's, but I think where I've come down on this is what this yearning is for me is 
for my youth. Like there is something really magical and specific about that time in your life when you're in college or your early 20s and like the whole world feels wide open to you and you haven't made permanent choices. Maybe you haven't gotten married. You don't have children yet. And anything is possible. You know, you, you haven't anchored yourself to much. And I find that exhilarating, like to be 25 again. Not that I, again, I was unhappy in my relationships at 25, <laughs> but sort of, again, that like wide open possibility. And so I think that that is where I go with these sort of one that got away or the second chance trope. And it's interesting. I went back to my college reunion this year and it had been delayed several years because of COVID. And so it was a whole bunch of classes. So it really felt like we were back in college and my college boyfriend was there who I hadn't seen in 25 years. And it was just, it was unnerving because, and we all felt it like there were many, many group texts afterwards because you know, you can never get that sort of euphoria back that like sort of magical feeling of being on campus and nothing really important like out in the world yet but then you return home and you have all these other obligations so I think that's sort of where this comes from for me not that there's a specific person out there um who got away but just that you can't you can't get it back time moves on Mm -hmm. so yeah and I think at that age you maybe crave the security of knowing like you think the certainty is all in your head and you're like, I'm going to do this. I'm, I know exactly. And and yet all around you is all possibility. When you're older, it's yes. the opposite. It's <laughs> yeah. all the all the certainties so in astute. your life. Yeah. And then <laughs> in your right. head, it's just like, that's it. <laughs> and it's not. The, the <laughs> other things what? are closed. And that's yeah. that's it. Exactly. That's it. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, like my senior year in college, I remember I couldn't wait to get out. Like I just wanted to go start my life. Yes. And yet... <laughs> Now I look back on it and I'm like, that was the best time of my life. Like the whole world was wide open to me. You articulated it so well. I think that that's exactly why I keep writing these to sort of dive back into that feeling of youthfulness that, you know, because life moves forward, you just, you just don't go back. And it's like, I've been thinking about it in terms of that reunion and in terms of, you know, all my friends talking about it. This is why people have midlife crises because they're chasing that. euphoria or that you know sort of that heady possibility yeah yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly so yeah i guess i write my books as my midlife crisis yeah so yeah yeah no and you can feel it and i too i don't always like going back or revisiting the past but it is that idea of that period of time just being because i don't i don't regret anything to the point that I would want to change it, but it does, it's got such a specialness to it that I don't know that I truly appreciated then and would really like back, you know, and especially that's exactly right. Like adds to it too. It's all about how young you are and how amazing things are when you're young and that when you're older, you know, it's gotten better. We're not expected to die off anymore at 40, but yeah. I mean, it's right. I, I think, We're just in my 40s. Exactly. Yeah. 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 But, yeah. Uh, but it's still, yeah. And it's interesting because I have been asked that, like, well, what do you regret since you write about regrets so much? And the answer is I don't really have regrets. Mm-hmm. It's just that I look back with a lot of 
fondness and probably rose colored yeah. glasses. Um, yeah, you know, like I, same. Uh, <laughs> we my, all do, my college relationship was extremely complicated and it wasn't necessarily happy at the time. But I look back at college and I'm like, oh my God, what I wouldn't do to, you know, like my son yeah. is applying to college right now and I'm like, oh. Like I can't, yeah. I, it's, it's exactly, it's just exactly what you said. It's, it's not about regret. It's just about that nostalgia. Yes. So. Oh my gosh. And just before you even signed on, I was asking Corinne, have you signed up for our college reunion? We went to college together and our yeah. reunions in June. I'm already like, you know, trying to get her to book her hotel. I'm peer pressuring her. Yeah. So yeah. maybe, maybe you is, just, maybe you just sold it for I me. Think so. Thank you. I think I'm so. telling you, it was, it was really actually surreal and I, I go back I've been back a bunch and I work with students but because there were like so many years there it was like being back in college and it was really hard mm-hmm. not just for me but all my text chains to sort of mm-hmm. disassociate from that and be like okay well now we're back we're with our family yeah. I mean not like in any sort of romantic way uh, in terms of seeing people there just it's just that youthfulness yeah. that's yeah. that's really what yeah. it was Yes. Completely. yes. Also, so. we've been watching Tell Me Lies on Hulu, so we're really in. I've we, seen you guys. We've been literally campus, talking yeah. I've seen you college. guys about that. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like we're yeah, trapped in the past here, too. So Talk about messy. <laughs> yeah. 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 I haven't watched it, but yeah. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting. I think for those of us in our 40s, like we are sort of at that generation, exactly what you were just saying, that like we're not ready to be old yet. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's there's a little bit of that looking back and you know I still feel yeah, yeah. 25 well 35 so yeah. know. <laughs> you know so yeah yeah no and I was just telling uh, a younger friend of mine I'm like I didn't sign up to disappear when I became a mother when I turned exactly. 40 I didn't sign up to just be irrelevant and that That's wh- right. where does that come from <laughs> I'm, I'm against that right <laughs> <laughs> Right? I'm against becoming irrelevant. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, I do think that's changed a bit. I mean, I, yes. I, I, our friends in our 40s and 50s still are probably less relegated to the sidelines than like our parents' generation. But yeah, it's, yeah. it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yes. So, so the opposite of irrelevant would be a, was it a tweet as Barnes and Noble compared your book? Oh my God. That was like to, the greatest day of my life. I mean, I get it. Yeah. The Great War mm-hmm. by yeah. Taylor Swift, oh her my new on Midnight's. Yeah. And it was so perfect. I thought that I, was so You know good. what? I actually <laughs> hadn't listened to the bonus tracks uh, when they tweeted that because it was like the next morning. Uh, and now I can't stop listening to it. It's about two people mm-hmm. who go to battle. I mean, I don't know if it's actually about like World War One, sort of metaphorically, but for our purposes, it's about two people who go to battle and are still there for each other, which yeah. I really love. I feel like I, uh, I am friends with a lot of my exes, which I and I wish them all well. Uh, well, yeah. maybe not all of them, but mo- most of them, I wish them all well. Um, yeah. And you know, I think there's something to be said for coming out the other side, whether it's in a romantic relationship with Frankie and Ezra or just, you know, wishing them every success. And, um, I've never believed that just cause you don't work out romantically that like you're a horrible person. So, I mean, you can be a horrible person if you treat the person badly, but 
Yeah. So anyway, yeah. that was amazing when they mentioned yeah. me and Taylor Swift in a tweet. That, <laughs> that was doesn't so get any better. And I thought that. it was perfect. I thought yeah. it was absolutely perfect. Yeah. Me too. So we also, we do cover a lot of rom-coms, book and yeah. movies. And one of the things that we sort of obsess over and analyze is what we like to call like the big speech. Like it could be mm-hmm. given by the male, by the female, by whoever. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we got really into it at some points. We were like, we had elements <laughs> and characteristics of what the big speech should have. What we yeah. liked, what um, we didn't but like, here, what worked for us. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Which we can't agree on. Shocker. Um, okay. We, we don't, yeah. what we, we, if Corinne loves the big speech, I hate the big speech usually. But anyway, yeah. or vice versa. But I think Frankie's big speech here to Ezra is so good. And oh, I mean, you. I don't want to give anything away. So we're not any spoilers, but like, I just wanted to ask you about writing that. And if you're sort of mm-hmm. into the big rom com speech and what it's like to write one um, and writing Frankie's in particular. So, I mean, I am into it because I... Yes. One thing I've been doing recently is devouring, because I'm working on this new book and the draft wasn't working, um, I've been reading like every rom-com I can to sort of get my, retrain my brain. Um, Mm -hmm. So I love the big speech. Uh, I think it needs to hopefully not be totally tropey, like... It needs to, what, what I, what I was going for when I wrote Frankie's speech was that it was still very her, like she is going to offer what Frankie Harriman is capable of. It still felt like her with giving him everything she was capable of, but that doesn't mean that she's going to over promise the world. And she also knew if anything were going to work, it had to come from her because she was the one who had really built up boundaries. So I wanted her to take ownership of her mistakes because Ezra was always willing to take ownership of his mistakes too much. So like he was willing to, you know, accept other people's mistakes as his own. So yeah, you know, it's funny. I don't write with an outline, but I just knew that that's where it had to end. So a lot of it was sort of of the book was building up to that and seeing her reach a point where she isn't not good with apologies, where she was willing to look inside herself and recognize that she was the one who had to, to apologize this time. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Thank you. And we've already discussed that this is a a real return to your rom-com roots. And now it sounds like the next one even more so and yeah. you also just mentioned that you don't write with an outline, but what is that? Do, are you just a messy first draft, get everything out and then delete the whole oh thing? My God. Or yeah. <laughs> what is I your process? I hate <laughs> writing first drafts. Like every time, like I was literally a couple months ago working on this thing and I just said to my husband, like, I don't even know why I do this. This is my last book. <laughs> I hate everything about this. <laughs> like I've been like raising this project to get books to libraries. I was like, I'm just going to do that full time. I'm going to send this in and it's over. (laughs) And now that like the first draft is done, I'm like, oh, I actually sort of like this. So first drafts for me are excruciating because I don't outline and I had to write this one quite quickly, which I'm a fast writer, but it takes me a really long time to come up with the idea that I want to write about. So I was sort of shoving an idea in that I hadn't fully baked. So, And you start with the woman. I really like... I usually, yes, I start yeah. with the woman, and I did in this case as well. It is told through two narrations again, um, through two different perspectives, but I always start with the woman just because, like, I can, that's where I dive in. 
And this is about a woman who's famous who has blown up her career and has to go home and finds an anonymous love letter from one of her exes. So she has to figure out who sent it and if it matters Uh that he sent it and so on and so forth. Uh So once again, revisiting that theme of like, yes, exactly. I I saw that. uh, Mm -hmm. Reunite with. So I really, really love the editing process. I feel like um, I, I value it so much. I feel like I can turn in like a decent draft, but getting it from like a B plus to an A requires wiser eyes than mine. So <laughs> yeah, I, that, so that's sort of how I do it. it. It is a really messy, like full of exposition and stuff that doesn't need to be there. And then I, and also she's usually quite unlikable. So then I go back and I layer it and it usually goes through like five or six drafts. So, and it sounds like there's some collaboration, like you just said, you need, you need yes. other eyes. And so, yeah. Some authors really don't like the editing process. I love collaborating with my editor. My agent also reads it and gives me notes a few times. I just think, you know, writing is a very solitary endeavor and you need other support systems there to help you sort of ascend that learning curve. Because even this is the one I'm writing right now, which we're calling, I think we're calling it the retake, is the learning curve is so steep. Even 10 books in, like, I was going to say, where I'm going yeah, wrong. it's your 10th. <laughs> yeah. Like, so there's just always more to improve on. And so, you know, my editor and my agent helped me with that. So I love that. I want to put out the best book I can. So that's what they're there for. Yeah. And it also, so, I read in your acknowledgments that even you, you just mentioned that you have trouble with the ideas, which is where I would stumble yeah. to as a writer. Yeah. Um, but it sounds like you have a, a good friend, a fellow yeah. New York Times bestselling author, Laura Dave, who you yeah. can bounce ideas off of. So is she or, or other friend, women friends of yours, how, how you kind of work through this finding the idea part? You just kind of bounce yeah, things off? No, and Yeah, Laura is one of my first stops. I've known her, see, I was pregnant with my daughter, so for like 16 years, and she's one of my dearest friends. And I'm so thrilled for her wild success right now. But she she and I write very similarly, although she's now moved to like the thriller space. And we think very similarly creatively. So I often read some of her drafts. Like I read an iteration of The Last Thing You Told Me like seven years prior to it yeah. selling. And then I yeah. read it again um, when she was poly- changing it into a different draft form. But um, again... I just find that collaboration so thrilling because if you're like-minded with somebody, they may see what you're trying to do and help you elevate it. So I I think actually it was Laura who said you should set it on a college campus. So I think I was originally doing it like a a, a reunion weekend, like in Boston or something. And I thought, Mm -hmm. and that just upped the nostalgia so much more. So without, you know, wiser minds, your work may not be as good. So, um, yeah, I'm very fortunate that I found someone so many years ago who, who I can trust with that. I loved that they woke up in the dorm room. I mean, it's so good. Thank you. And and it's (laughs) just the instant nostalgia. Yeah. 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 That's right. Yeah. I took my son back to look at my college and I was like, and that like, we were actually, we didn't have security, so we couldn't go in, but I was like angling around. I was like, that's my freshman year dorm room. He was like, okay, great, whatever. But yeah, like you just get stuck in that. (laughs) 
Yes. Like, well, great. You know, yeah. Can we go get some pizza? Like he was not yeah. thrilled. But just, you know, and I say this to new writers a lot, like surrounding yourself by people who are smarter than you in some aspect is going to be the best thing you can do. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's what I try Why to do. Why do you think I'm here with Corinne? I, I, See? <laughs> same. Hopefully same. she said the same about you. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. She, she just yeah. did. Because so it's, and you. it's not just, I know you're, you're, you're being kind and, and it's probably true too, but it's not just about smarter than you. It's that just that someone that you trust to bounce yeah. things off of and that will give you yes. honest feedback, but also be really supportive and not just like leave you hanging like this doesn't work Goodbye, you know? So yeah. That. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, and it's hard to find. And I, that's why I said, I, like I got lucky with her. She and I were debut novelists around the same time. And I had reached out with an email cause I saw we went to the same college and she's like, great, let's meet for coffee. And so we did. And it was just sort of one of those instant kinships. So, you know, that's very fortunate. Um, but I don't think that my work would be as strong without a collaborator like that. So, um, yeah. Yeah. you know, I, I have been have dying to get, uh, yes, I've been dying to get to this question yeah. the whole time, because yeah. everything you're saying, all I'm thinking is Gemini, Gemini, Gemini. <laughs> I am a Gemini. And mm-hmm. the duality, the twins. My husband is a Gemini, so yeah. I relate yeah, okay. uh, very much. I'm very familiar. And also, yeah. you mentioned in this book, one of the characters says he's a Gemini, and he says, we're known to crush it yeah. at everything, <laughs> which is true, yeah. is true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And then one of the, uh, something I read uh, when I was preparing, because again, I know Gemini is so well, but some of the yeah. descriptive words are creative, emotionally nurturing, kind, open-minded, warm, compassionate. I think all of those jive with everything that you've been yeah. saying. But then I read this. Gemini women are very passionate about life, but hesitant when it comes to love. Due to their intelligence and indecisiveness, Gemini women agonize about the important decisions in their life. If you're dating a Gemini woman, be patient with her. It may take her longer to commit. Interesting. And I hmm. thought that felt very Frankie. At least. (laughs) Well, that is very Frankie. That's actually not me. um, But that is very Frankie. So we'll say she and and as I said, I really I understood Frankie very inherently. So but do you um, otherwise identify uh, with you? I do otherwise identify. And and what I would say about that is it's not that I was ever hesitant to commit. But I I gravitated towards complicated men, which maybe it's not Mm. that I'm was hesitant to commit. It's that I sort of set myself up for problems, like Mm. before we were even Mm. in deep. So that may be my own way of, um, yeah, you know, being hesitant to fully get there emotionally. But that I mean, all of it is, you know, ambitious, driven, creative. Yeah, you don't want to be bored. Said, the Gemini's are, I, they, I don't, they need to be like stimulate. I have a son who's a Gemini. So I just ask yeah. Corinne everything I need to yeah. know when I can't <laughs> deal with him. They're a lot. They're need, a lot. I, I do need to be stimulated, which is why mm-hmm. this career has worked out for me quite well, because yeah. I can always sort of abandon one project and move on to another. Um, yes. and I, like I always say, I don't know if I'm going to write books forever. Maybe I'm going to go to something else. Um, not even when I'm like flipping out about how badly a first draft is going. So I do, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, I always have identified yeah. quite strongly as a Gemini. Yeah. So I, I, I like to always have something going on. 
Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's and right. and I'm an Aries, and yeah. that's very compatible with Gemini okay. in that same way. They don't like to be bored. We're always like friends. to be doing. Yeah, yeah. We always like to be doing yeah. something. Yeah. Got to move on. Yeah. That's yeah. Great. Well, um, Ezra must be a fixed sign because I am a Leo and we are fixed. Like we are starting on the path. We're going to, we will finish your task. I love it. Right. You guys can come up with all the ideas and we will see it through. So, you know, you got to have all kinds, right? Yes. I mean, if two Geminis marry each other, it could be really complicated. So a lot of drama. No, no two messy. You're you're absolutely right. Yeah. A lot of drama. Yeah. Well, before we end, we always like to ask if there is sort of anything you're loving right now, obviously, besides Taylor Swift Midnight. Yeah, I know. I was going to say, uh, wait, does Midnight's count? It does. It counts. Sure. We're like watching, well, listening to reading. That I'm yes. loving. Well, I'm, first of all, I'm reading. I've been, as I said, I've been on a huge tear. I'm reading the oh, yeah. X talk right now, which I'm really oh. enjoying. Mm-hmm. Oh, I have that I, on my Audible. It was like in yeah. my list. I was going to ask you of the rom coms because I've actually read a bunch lately. So is Corinne. Like, what yeah. is your what are your top picks? So I loved this Spanish love deception by Elena Armas. She has a new one out, which I haven't read. The American Roommate Experiment or something. I love that. I have the roughest draft up next because I'm doing a event with Emily, which I'm really excited about. Oh, I loved Alyssa Sussman. Funny You Should Ask by Alyssa Sussman. I thought it was so great. Super delightful. But I'm watching a show on HBO, which came out in March, and I'm late to it, called Minx. And I don't feel like a lot of people watched Mm. it. It's about the founding of, like, female-centered porn magazines. So it's with, like, male centerfolds. And, um, Mm -hmm. I mean, you have to be okay with, like, looking at a bunch of prosthetics, which is like initially you're like, ah, and then you're like, okay, well. <laughs> oh, we just watched White Lotus. Um, but, okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was so good. I watched my husband and I watched that over the summer. But yeah. Minx yeah. is like, uh, it's really, it sort of flew under the radar and I don't think it was really well reviewed critically, but it is so entertaining. And it's it's feminist. It's okay. about this woman yeah. who has, in the 70s, who was like a, a wild feminist and Get swept up in this porn industry. So anyway, okay. I'm not fascinated, but I am yeah. really enjoying it. Yeah, yeah, it's really good, really good. That's HBO yeah. Max, you said. It's HBO Max. Yeah. Okay, so. we'll check that out. Yeah, we, we yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Allison. I mean, you know, be prepared. Yeah, yeah. Oh, thank you guys for having me. I'm delighted. To, yeah, be prepared. Um, but I'm delighted to be here. I love what you guys are doing, and it's a, it's so much fun. Yay. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you so much. I'm so glad all those months ago that we, we made it happen. So <laughs> I, know, I think you were like the first person to reach out for me. I'm like, oh, wonderful. Somebody's going to be uh, We were hooked. So. We were yeah. hooked immediately. Yeah. Oh, thank oh, you yeah. very much. This has been Pop Fiction Women with Corinne and Kate. If you enjoyed the show, please tell the complicated women in your life. And the men who love them. Yes, tell them to listen. And then to follow on Spotify or review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And of course, share on social media. Tag us with your favorite books, TV shows, and movies starring complicated women on Facebook and Instagram at Pop Fiction Women or on Twitter at Pop underscore women. 
For more coverage of the women you love, or to find out if you qualify as a complicated woman, go to popfictionwomen.com. And keep it complicated.